and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to introduce to you now. Danielle Hamilton is a functional nutritional therapy practitioner and a restorative wellness practitioner specializing in blood sugar regulation and digestion. She uses a holistic approach to help reverse insulin resistance in her patients. Danny is the host of the popular podcast, Unlock the Sugar Shackles. The podcast is designed to give listeners the tools to find freedom from sugar and carb cravings with real food and lifestyle tips so they can heal their body, balance their blood sugar, lose weight, and feel amazing. Her signature online program, Blood Sugar Mastery, helps target the root cause of the many diseases that come from insulin resistance. Danny gives her clients simple take-home tips that are effective at taking action towards their health goals right away. Her mission is to help people uncover and improve their blood sugar issues so they can feel their best and live long and healthy lives. You can find Danny at www.daniellehamiltonhealth.com. Danny Hamilton, what an honor it is to welcome you to Balanced Body Radio. Thank you so much for having me. What an introduction. Ah, you earned it. <laughs> it's well deserved. <laughs> You've done so much cool stuff. Um, I have been working on this line for a while and I think I have it perfected. So let me give this a go. Before okay. we get granular about sugar, ha 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 ha, get it? <laughs> granular about sugar? That was good. Love it. That was good. Okay. Yeah. Enough of the puns. <laughs> Before we get granular about sugar, Danny, we would love to hear about your story. You have a very interesting story around food and sugar in particular, and a lot of things that you had to really struggle through and suffer through. So I would love to hear um, that story and, and introduce that to our audience. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for uh, for that, Casey. You're very sweet, uh, pun intended. Um, so yeah, <laughs> my story, it, it won't just be puns, everybody. We'll, we'll be done with this. Um, but <laughs> my story begins in childhood, uh, and I was kind of a sickly kid. I had a lot of ear infections. I had eczema when I was little. I was always having colds and, and a lot of antibiotics. And as I got older, I started to get a lot of strep throat. My senior year of high school, I got strep throat six times. I had to get my tonsils out, which was horrible. The next year I went to college and I developed really horrible seasonal allergies and asthma. Then after college, I moved to Miami, Florida, where the season is all year round. And so I was, I found out I was allergic to palm trees. <laughs> I mean, it oh, was no. kind of crazy. Yeah. And, uh, I was getting a lot of allergy shots. I was allergic to so many things and developing new allergies that I needed five shots at a time. And I was getting them every other day. I started giving them to myself and my stomach because I was going broke from the copays and I was on multiple allergy and asthma medications. I was on inhalers. I was getting chronic sinus infections. I, I was struggled with with acne and then, uh, and my weight was always something that I struggled with as well. And I was in my early twenties. I mean, I, it sounds like, you know, I'm in my seventies talking to you about this stuff, but it was my early twenties and I was just at such a loss. And every time I walked into a doctor's office, I was like, why is this happening to me? And no one had an answer for me. They would just tell me, Oh, it's probably, you know, probably just your genetics or bad luck. And that just took my role in my health totally out of it. It was just like, Oh, I guess I just have bad luck and I just have to deal with it. And I didn't, that didn't sit well with me. And so I found out about this book called the paleo diet solution by Rob Wolf. And it was talking all about real food, what um, and if you know what the paleo diet is, basically real food, no dairy, no grains, uh, no legumes and no processed food. And I tried it and it was amazing. My health almost effortlessly just started shifting and I effortlessly got off of all those medications, no more shots, no more sinus infections, no more strep throat, no more anything. It was amazing. And I just wanted to shout this information from the rooftops, like, oh my goodness, can you believe, you know, everything we've been taught is wrong. They told us not to have fat and fat is good for us. They told us not to have salt, but we need unrefined salt. Like it just, they told us to be scared of cholesterol and really we should be scared of these grains and flour. And it was just everything that we had been told and that, you know, my mom feels so bad. She's like, I can't believe I fed you all this stuff that made you so sick. I'm like, mom, you were just doing what you were told. You were following the advice that was given at the time, eating low fat, eating, you know, a low fat 
fruit yogurt was really healthy back in the 80s and 90s, right? And so you were doing your best. You were following the rules, but it wasn't good advice and it's not your fault. And I ended up struggling because of the bad advice that was being given. And so many other people found themselves in that position too. And I really just wanted to tell everybody this. And of course, you know, right when you discover real food or when you discover something you're passionate about, you start to tell everybody and they're like, Oh, we don't, we don't really want to hear this as we're, you know, eating our Big Macs, you know? Uh, so I had to kind of keep it to myself for a little while. Then uh, I was eating this really healthy diet, doing great. And it was 2013 and it was a really stressful year for me. I went through a breakup. I moved um, a lot of other personal things happening. And I started to really have a ton of hormonal symptoms. I was extremely fatigued. I lost my menstrual cycle, my acne that had already always kind of been there and was more cyclical uh, with my, with my monthly cycles. It started to become all the time. It was really cystic. It was all over my forehead, all over my cheeks. I was like, what the heck is happening? I feel like I'm aging in reverse. Like it does, doesn't this happen when you're a teenager, not when you're in your mid twenties. And it felt really unfair. It felt like I was, I really cared about my health and I was, my health was deteriorating yet. I was still doing the same thing and I had to get to the bottom of it, but I couldn't really figure it out. So I did realize based on Googling my symptoms that I probably had PCOS, which is polycystic ovarian syndrome. It's a hormonal imbalance. And I went to the gynecologist and I said, look, I've been working out a ton. I've been eating really healthy food and I just can't make a dent in my weight. I'm just gaining weight. I, I, my periods are missing. I'm, I'm, I have acne. I think I have PCOS. And he said, you do have PCOS. You have to lose weight. There's no cure and you have to take the pill. I was like, wow. what the hell, dude? <laughs> like, what kind of advice is that? So I walked out of there. He forced me to take a prescription of the pill. I ripped up that prescription when I got to the car and I was like, screw you. I'm not, I will not believe you. I do not believe that this is not reversible. I just, I just know it isn't like I, that's garbage. I'm not taking the pill. And I was really much more motivated even to figure out what was happening. So I did end up taking some pharmaceuticals because I was just really stuck with my symptoms. And I felt like I was doing everything right because back in 2013, if you looked up PCOS, they would tell you, uh, they would tell you, don't eat gluten. I was like, check, already doing that. Don't have dairy, check, already doing that. Don't have processed refined sugar, check, already doing that. So I felt like I was doing everything right because that was all the advice out there. But I knew something was missing, but I just couldn't find it. So fast forward to 2018, I was in the car. I was listening to a podcast with Dr. Jason Fung and Megan Ramos. And Megan said, PCOS is the diabetes of the ovaries. And I just about drove my car off the road. I was in shock. I was like, what do you mean diabetes? This is the first time I'm hearing this word. And so the first time I'm hearing it in relation to PCOS. And so I did a deep dive and I realized that insulin resistance and blood sugar issues are actually at the root of PCOS. So all this time I had been trying to take Vitex and take Chasteberry and all these things to affect my progesterone, my estrogen, my testosterone, and that wasn't the root cause. So I wasn't making a dent in my symptoms. So when I finally got to the root cause and started working on my blood sugar, which then affects your insulin levels, I was able to, again, effortlessly reverse the PCOS. And it was like this missing thing. So what I did was I took my paleo diet and I took out those dense carb sources, which all of a sudden I was like, Hmm. Do I eat a lot of sugar? I don't think I do. And meanwhile, I'm eating, you know, bananas in my iced coffee at, with blended with coconut sugar and coconut milk and uh, fruit smoothies and acai bowls and sweet potatoes and plantains and plantain chips and kombucha and maple syrup and paleo treats. I'm like, oh, geez, I definitely eat a lot of sugar. I didn't even realize it because this whole time I thought I'm like, well, it's healthy sugar. You know, this is healthy. It's natural. These are natural foods. It's not processed but I was still way overeating carbohydrates. And because I was no longer afraid of fat, I was just having way too much for my body. I became really carbohydrate intolerant and uh, I was having all these symptoms I didn't even realize were connected to blood sugar. So I was also 
I would be a person who would wake up and I needed to have coffee or food immediately when I woke up or else I'd get shaky. If I had to do fasting blood work, I'd be lightheaded. I'd be dizzy. I almost fell over. I remember this one time, my fasting blood sugar came out at 60 and no doctor. Yeah. No doctor said anything to me. It came out 63 times in a row at three different doctors and not one said a thing to me about this. And meanwhile, I was there because I had PCOS and it's like, hello, (laughs) they missed, they missed, they didn't do their job. They missed the link. You know, I even went to a doctor who was, he called himself like a paleo physician. He knew more about this stuff than the average, you know, Western medicine doctor. And he still missed it, you know? And then I was also a person who needed to eat before I went out to eat. I needed to eat before I left the house. I needed to have something, some sort of food with me when I left the house because I couldn't tolerate hunger because my hunger wasn't actual hunger. It was a blood sugar crash, but I didn't know that I didn't have that languaging. So I would just always eat or graze or snack or have a little something because I couldn't tolerate feeling hungry or that blood sugar crashing. So I would just keep my blood sugar up by doing these things. And so I never really realized it. I never knew the early signs of blood sugar dysregulation until they were really late. And um, yeah, after I changed that, it changed everything. So that's my long story. (laughs) That's amazing. I, I, I love when you said root cause, because you look at all the things that you had to struggle with and they're, I'm sure they were all treated separately. I'm sure nobody ever asked, like, what was the root cause of all of them? You wouldn't imagine that they would all be branches of the exact same tree. Totally. Totally. Yeah. No one, I was like, what can I do with my, you know, why am I getting all these allergies? And someone asked me yesterday on an interview, did any doctor ever ask you about what you were eating? And I said, not one, not one doctor ever asked me what I was eating. And it's, I mean, to me, that's gross negligence. It's like, it's ignoring a huge piece of what's happening. You know, they didn't ask me about my stress levels. They didn't ask me about my lifestyle. You know, they ask you on the form, like, do you smoke? So, okay, great. They did that one thing, (laughs) but since I didn't, they had nothing to say. They had nothing to say. And it was just chance. It was bad luck. And oh, sorry, too bad. Here's your prescription. Come back, you know, next time and we'll collect your copay happily. So it it feels icky, you know, it feels so icky being treated like that. <laughs> yeah, that's terrible. Wow. Okay. So again, we're gonna deep dive into sugar and its effects in the body. But before we do, is sugar addictive? Yeah. In your opinion, is sugar addictive? Absolutely. I mean, Mark Hyman has the quote, and I don't know if this is absolutely true, but it's it says that sugar is eight times more addictive than cocaine. And I mean, just, and there are those studies where they give rats the choice of cocaine or sugar, and they always choose sugar, but we're not rats, we're humans. But look at, look at everybody, look at the state of the health of people in this country. 46% have prediabetes or diabetes, 88% are metabolically unhealthy. And sugar is at the heart of this problem. I mean, Sugar is very addictive. I find it in my own body. It feels like it starts taking over. If you ever have, you know, tried to cut out sugar and you do it for a little while and then it starts to slowly sneak back in. And I think that our bodies are inherently designed to seek out glucose. But now we live in this environment where glucose is so abundant. It's not like, oh, there's a, you know, a beehive over there and a berry bush in the summer. Cool. That's where we're going to get our glucose. So we're going to go ham. But now it's like everywhere you look, everyone's pantry, every single supermarket shelf and store and fast food joint and food truck. I mean, it's everywhere. So it's our, our ancestral bodies don't do well in this modern world because everything is so hyper palatable and it's not only the sugar, it's how they make these foods in factories to have that perfect set point of salt Uh, fat and sugar that makes them highly palatable. They call it this bliss point. And so they are working off of the, this inherent addictive nature of these foods and that bliss point to totally light up our brains like pinball machines. When we eat these things, I mean, you ever see those videos on Instagram or, or on TikTok or whatever of little babies getting their first bite of 
of sugar. Their eyes light up. I mean, their whole body, their whole physiology reacts. And so, yes, I truly believe that sugar is highly, highly addictive. <laughs> yeah, no, I've seen those videos. It's crazy. It looks like like a crack addict, like seriously, like yeah. just the best thing ever. And I'm so glad you brought that up and brought that up with seasonality. I remember learning from James Antonio, who wrote The Salt Fix, that salt yep. has a self-regulating mechanism for taste. Like, I think yes. most people listening know what it's like to have something salty and it tastes amazing and it's so good. And all of a sudden it's like, whoa, I'm eating the same thing, but all of a sudden it just, it's, it's a little too salty. I don't want to eat this anymore. There's no, 100%. there's no self-regulation on sugar because we shouldn't find it all the time. You can have more and then more will taste good after that. And then even more will taste good after that. There's no regulation because you're not supposed to find it all day, every day, 365 days out of the year. It's nuts. <laughs> Yeah, I totally agree. And with sugar, quite the opposite happens, right? We we develop almost like a tolerance to it, like with alcohol, where you need more and more and more in order to get that same fix, to get that same level of sweetness, to, to meet this threshold. So we keep sort of moving our tolerance up. And I notice that when I am going to get for example, when I used to buy kombucha, when I was paleo, you know, I would look at GT's kombucha, this very popular kombucha brand, and they used to have two grams of sugar per serving in many of their flavors. Now, the lowest you can find is six grams of sugar per serving, which means 18 grams, I'm tw sorry, 12 grams in a bottle. So it used to be four grams per bottle. Now it's 12 minimum that you can find. And it's the same thing. Uh, I mean, White Claws. This is just an example that my wife was talking about the other day. She said there's a new type of White Claw and it's sweeter. Of course it is because the original White Claw was a seltzer and it doesn't have that much sugar in it, but the demand is like, this tastes like crap. We need something sweet. So the general population has such a threshold for sweetness that everything that I try or drink or, or taste that is, you know, the average person's eating to me, it's offensively sweet because my sweetness threshold is really, really low. I'm like eating a raspberry, like, oh my goodness, this is the nectar of the gods, right? Yeah. And yeah, it, it's really different. No, totally. I remember eating fruit that was growing in my neighborhood this summer and it was so sweet and delicious. It was really great. It always made me mm -hmm. starving afterwards. So I eventually I decided <laughs> to avoid it because I'd always get so dang hungry in the middle of my day. But you're right. Um, so, so maybe we can explain like what, what sugar is in the family of carbohydrates and how does it get into the body and cause so much damage? Okay. So sugar, I'm, I'm not sure about the science there on that, um, <laughs> what you're, what you're sort of alluding to, but how it gets into the body is when we digest it, uh, when we digest sugar, um, the glucose portion will go into the bloodstream. The fructose gets broken down. It has to go directly to the liver for processing and uh, table sugar and fruit sugar is ha essentially half fructose, half glucose and little bits of fructose over time. That's probably fine. Right. But where a lot of the general population is consuming high fructose corn syrup all the time, multiple times a day. And that overconsumption of the fructose is leading to a lot of fatty liver issues, but the glucose will get broken down and digested and go in the bloodstream. And glucose is the fuel, uh, a main fuel source for our body. And the elevation of the blood glucose will then trigger the pancreas. If you don't have type one diabetes to release a hormone called insulin, insulin is like a little key. And so it escorts the glucose unlocks the cells of the body, like the brain, the muscles, the heart, the liver, et cetera, and will allow the glucose to get into the cells. So the cells can use the glucose for energy or store it for later as stored body fat. And so, yeah, I think that was what you asked me. Is yeah, that good yeah. so far? Yeah, okay. no, totally, totally, totally. So, so like I would tell people that like fiber is like, mostly you're not going to absorb it. It stays in the gut. Maybe the gut biome can, can use it. Mm -hmm. You know, starch might be it, it, it's more bound up. It's more complex. So it needs to be broken down which takes more time to kind of cleave down. And so it's almost like a freeway on ramp that's being metered. Like it's still going to be sugar in the blood, but it slows it down so that the flow of traffic can continue. But when you are consuming that amount of sugar, I mean, even the sugar that you were mentioning in some of those drinks, that's several magnitudes of, of sugar higher than what your body can even circulate and keep in circulation before you can cause a ton of damage. And it's like that freeway yeah. on-ramp, unmetered, tons of cars all on the road as quickly as possible. And that's a big problem. You're going to have a lot of wrecks and that's going to cause a lot of damage. Yeah, totally, totally. 
Yeah. So what other parts of the body get the most damage when our sugar remains elevated for, for a long time? Yeah. So because every single cell has a receptor for insulin and, and therefore uses sugar, every cell of the body, meaning every single organ and system in the body is affected by our blood sugar. So we can take this top-down approach and just start from the very top of your head and start with, you know, your in your brain, your brain is highly impacted by your glucose levels and your blood sugar swings. So we can see signs of things like we can see headaches as an early sign of blood sugar issues. We can see memory loss or brain fog or difficulty concentrating, mood issues like anxiety, irritability, depression. And then as things get worse, we tend to see these things get more exacerbated. So issues like headaches become migraines. Uh, we can see neurological issues start to be uh, present like seizures and um, Alzheimer's is being called type three diabetes. And so everything just gets worse and worse as the blood sugar stays elevated more often and as the insulin resistance progresses. And so uh, moving downward, we can look at the eyes. We know that type two diabetics um, have the leading cause of macular degeneration uh, is the leading cause of blindness. This is often seen in type two diabetics. We know that uh, with our, our mouth, we know that sugar causes cavities, causes gum disease, and we're swallowing that bacteria and it's affecting our guts. And we can look at the skin. We know that for me, a huge trigger of my acne were these blood sugar spikes. I stopped spiking my blood sugar, never got another cystic pimple in my whole entire life. Um, and yeah, so we can just keep going down with the heart. Um, insulin resistance is the leading cause of things like high blood pressure and heart disease and cardiovascular issues. We can see a lot of this related, you know, a lot of people who have diabetes also have heart issues and it's not because of, oh, they just go together. It's no, these high sugar and the insulin resistance are causing this. We know that also high sugar depletes magnesium, a very essential mineral for relaxing the heart. So we see a lot of atrial fibrillation and heart arrhythmia issues because that of the mineral imbalances. We can also experience issues in the whole digestive tract because of sugar. We can see overgrowth of pathogenic bacteria. We see nutrient deficiencies. We start to see issues with the adrenal glands, which are one of the major organs of blood sugar regulation. Uh, we see this really, really being, the adrenals really being hit hard by these highs and lows of the blood sugar swings. And then when there's a low, the adrenals need to step in in an emergency to pump up that blood sugar by pumping out these stress hormones. And that's very depleting over time. So if you've ever been a person who's woken up in the middle of the night with your heart pounding, um, perhaps you, you think you're having an anxiety attack, it's more likely a blood sugar crash and your adrenals had to come in. Oftentimes people will say this happens to them when they're drinking alcohol. And that's because you get a delayed response, a delayed blood sugar dip and higher insulin levels from the drinking that impact uh, and cause that that crash later on. Um, of course, we know it's affecting our liver because again, the liver is another major organ of blood sugar regulation. And we're seeing a lot of fatty liver and just issues with anyone who has diabetes is going to have liver issues. It The liver is responsible for so many different fa um, factors in the body and different processes and different nutrient stores and regulation that it gets bombarded with having to constantly regulate your blood sugar, it doesn't have time to be detoxing or to be doing its other functions. So we see a lot of detoxification issues as well start to happen. Um, we know the pancreas, of course, creates insulin and the beta cells can become really fatigued and stop producing as much insulin when we see these high levels over and over and over. Um, that happens at the sort of near the end of type two diabetes. And we can also see this have an impact on our digestive system because the pancreas is also an organ of digestion It it creates digestive enzymes. So if it's constantly being asked to create insulin, 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 it's not going to be able to have enough function for digestion. So we'll see impacts there as well. And that can lead to things like 
improperly broken down food, which leads to things like constipation, diarrhea, poor blood sugar regulation, because you're not breaking down the foods properly enough. Um, and that will not allow those fats to be absorbed in the bloodstream to help stabilize the blood sugar and uh, all sorts of digestive issues, nutrient deficiencies again. And then if we look at, you know, I could go all day <laughs> with all these organs. This is a kidneys. clinic. This is an absolute yeah. clinic. <laughs> Yeah. Um, you know, with the kidneys, of course, the blood sugar is going to affect every single blood vessel in the body. So once it goes over, they say like 140, there's not necessarily a magic number, but they start to see this inflammatory cascade and these inflammatory molecules start to impact the lining of all the blood vessels. So the tinier blood vessels, uh, like the capillaries, you're going to see those affected first. So that's why areas in the body where there's high concentrations of these small capillaries, like the kidneys and the eyes, that's why they're very impacted in populations with diabetes. So Dr. Fung, for example, is a nephrologist. He's a kidney doctor and all he's seeing is type two diabetics. And so again, people with kidney issues are very likely going to want to look at their blood sugar. And then finally, the reproductive organs, uh, that would be another one. So again, insulin resistance causing PCOS, which is the leading cause of infertility in women. We know that high insulin levels will impact uh, hormones negatively. So it will also lead to infertility in men. We know that high blood sugar levels are, you know, linked with high levels of cancer and uh, like any single, any disease, <laughs> you name it. So again, every, bo every body organ, every system in the body, our energy regulation, our moods, how we function, how we think it's just all impacted because we, it all uses sugar. So too much of it, it's going to start to it almost like toasts the, the vessels. So that's, it creates these advanced glycation end products or AGES. So it gives us wrinkles. It literally ages us, but it also is like when you put bread in the toaster and how it gets brown, that's what the sugar is really doing to our body. It's sort of like toasting us from the inside. And I wouldn't want my body to be like that. <laughs> no, definitely not. So, yeah, that yeah. glycation stuff is really scary. That was an amazing answer. You covered everything. That was very, very well done. Nice job for your first time. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, and and tell me if you like this analogy. When we're talking about insulin resistance, I'll often say that it's almost like an alcoholic where they'll have a beer, you know, the very first beer, and they'll get a buzz. And over time, if they keep doing that, like one is not going to be enough. And so they need more, and then they're going to need more, and then they're going to need more until they're drinking a lot. And, you know, maybe a friend of yours might come over and say like, Hey, I think I've got a problem. Like I'm drinking, you know, a case of beer every day and I'm not getting a buzz. You wouldn't necessarily say, Oh, well to get a better buzz, you should probably drink this bottle of Jack Daniels that will fix the problem because then you'll get a buzz again. But yet that's, that's my analogy of exactly what we're doing in how we treat this. Yes. A hundred percent. So yeah, Dr. Fung uses the example of putting shirts into a suitcase. So the, the hand that's putting the shirts in is like insulin and the shirts are the glucose and the suitcase is the cell, right? So if we're putting shirts into the cell and then the cell into the, the suitcase and the suitcase is full, the answer is not get more people to help you put more shirts into the suitcase. That's not going to solve the problem. So we're basically saying type two diabetes, giving a type two diabetic more insulin is not going to solve the problem at all because that's not the problem to begin with. The problem is that there's too many shirts and too many hands, right? And so we need to start taking them out and using them up, like use these shirts, you know, you like exactly like you said, don't drink something harder. That's not the problem. The problem is the tolerance to begin with. We need to lower the tolerance by not putting it into the system as much as we are. So we need to be lowering insulin levels, not so then our body can become sensitive to it again, sensitized to it. And the resistance is what's causing the problem. Too much insulin is really at the root of type two diabetes. And that's why it's not treated properly. And that's why it's become this huge epidemic, it's because we're looking at it from the lens of blood sugar. So there are tons of diabetes drugs out there that are trying to get down the blood sugar by any means possible. And so they'll give them pro-insulin drugs that are increasing their insulin. 
And yeah, it's getting the diet, the maybe the blood sugar a little better and the A1C a little better, but guess what it's also doing? Making the entire disease process worse because it's really the insulin resistance that's driving the high blood sugar to begin with. Because if when the, the cells become resistant to insulin, insulin can't get the sugar into the cells. So then the sugar stays in the blood and is high. And there's also so much insulin there. And all of these problems are really coming because of Yes, on one hand, it's because of the high sugar, but also hugely it's because of the impact of the insulin in the in the body. And insulin does a very important thing is that it blocks the body from fat burning and it blocks the body from using stored sugar in the liver. So you, when you have insulin resistance and especially to the level of where you are a type two diabetic, you can't burn your own body fat for fuel. You can't really burn fat very well to begin with. You can't use the sugar that's stored in your liver. So you're de- you then reliant on the food that you're eating constantly. Like you have to be eating constantly because you can't access everything that you have stored in your body. So that's what high insulin does. It blocks your body from accessing any stored energy. So if you have lots of body fat, but no access to that. You're always hungry. You're always tired. That's a huge sign. You have insulin resistance and you don't need any doctor to tell you that because they probably won't know how to diagnose you anyway. So it's something to start working on for sure. That reminds me of my very amateur cycling career where you would eat six, seven times a day. You would need, you know, oatmeal, then you'd be hungry again. And then you'd have to have all these snacks and gels and goos and all this shit while you're riding your bike tired all the time and like your stomach would just hurt it would just ache all the time and you'd cramp and need naps all the time it's absolutely awful this would be a really good transition i think to talk about being a sugar burner versus a fat burner i was able to work with a metabolic cart for better part of my career and initially like back in 2007 2008 we would test people and see whether they were burning fat or sugar at different intensities or at rest Uh and which was which was great we just didn't know how to use the information back then we would just say like oh well the machine says you burn 80% of your fuel from carbohydrates at rest. So you should probably fuel your diet with carbohydrates because that's what you're burning before any of us learned. Yeah. We had no idea that you could manipulate some of this stuff with diet. And we had a a coach do a call with us. His name was Bob Sibahar out of Colorado. And he was talking about coaching Ironman athletes who were intaking like tens of calories, like 60 calories an hour and doing really, really well eating bacon and, and butter and cream as part of their normal diet. And, and they were using fat as fuel. And I was like, what, what is this guy talking about? This is pure insanity. We had no idea you can manipulate some of this stuff with diet. So can you talk a little bit about what the difference is between being a sugar burner and being a fat burner? Yeah, absolutely. So with being a sugar, okay, let's zoom out. Our body is like a hybrid car. It has, it should be able to access our two fuel sources, which are sugar, carbohydrates, glucose on one hand and then fats and ketones on the other hand. So we should be able to, I'll just call it sugar and fats for simplicity. And so we should be able to burn sugar, burn fat, switch back and forth between the two, because that's how our bodies, all of our bodies were designed. Even little babies are born being able to switch in and out of ketosis. If they're exclusively breastfed, they're burning fats and ketones and um, they they're fine. They're great. That's how our body's designed, right? And so over time, our modern diet, which we already talked about, is loaded with these high carbohydrate, high sugar foods. They raise these insulin levels and block our body from accessing that stored body fat. So then we are not able to effectively and efficiently burn fat. So then we're stuck in this sugar burning phase where we're needing to eat every few hours because you can only store so much sugar in your body or you eat it and it gets burned up right away. So I like to think about carbohydrates and sugar as like the kindling on the fire. It burns hot and fast and then it's over, but logs are like fat. So the fats burn low and slow and they keep us energized and satiated for hours. And so if you're not able to burn fat efficiently for fuel, you might feel hungry all the time. You might have energy crashes. You might have uh, sugar cravings and you might feel those early signs of blood sugar issues like sweats, uh, nausea, headaches, irritability, 
anxiety, shaky, dizzy, hangry, um, lightheaded, et cetera. And so on the other hand, when you can burn fat for fuel, most of the time people who are burning fat for fuel, we call them metabolically flexible because they can burn both fat and sugar. If you take out carbs for too long, you do become metabolically inflexible the other way. So you do become mostly a fat burner and your body is not as efficient as using at using glucose. So, um, for most people, we like to have that flexibility uh, if possible, because that's the most optimal our metabolisms are. And so we will, when you're a fat burner, when you can burn fat, you will feel satiated from your meals. You won't be craving. You'll have steady, even energy. You won't have insatiable hunger that feels really urgent. You could put off your hunger. You'd be like, ah, uh, I, let me just finish this before I eat. Not like I'm going to bite someone's head off if I don't have something to eat in the next second. Um, and I think we could all pull to mind someone who may be like that hangry example, right? Like the sugar burner and being a fat burner, you are setting yourself up for better overall long-term health. So this is going to have positive impacts on the rest of your body symptoms. So all the things that I mentioned, our hormones, our cardiovascular health, our neurological health, our, our mental health. So we'll be set up to have good health in all those areas. Whereas if you're a sugar burner, you're set up to have the opposite. You're set up to have hormonal imbalances, neurological issues, or anxiety or mood issues and things like that. So those are the, the big distinctions. And um, you can kind of tell based on your symptoms where you fall into those categories. That's great. Um, one of our guests, Aranda Wickramashangha, that's a hard name to say, but I had to practice that a lot before we interviewed him. Uh, he mm -hmm. mentioned he mentioned that before, when he was a sugar burner, his hunger was like a bully. And now it's just like a friend that comes by and taps him on the shoulder every now and again, says, hey, like, is this a good time? If not, I can just go away for a little while and I'll come back later. And I think that was a perfect analogy and, and directly related to what you just said. It's 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 not as it's not as fierce or as immediate. You can go do other things since you're you threw that log on the fire. You don't need to preoccupy yourself with the fire. It's just kind of going in the background. And yeah, you might get a little hungry, but it's vastly different than that hanger that you're describing for sure. So so let's say you just, you sold the audience. Everybody is, is on board. We know that we need to reduce sugar. We need to know that we need to reduce total carbohydrates to be able to do that. We want to eat more fat. We want to eat more protein, but you have done some interesting research into digestion of, of what can happen if we make that transition too quickly without realizing, you know, what can come down the road. Can you comment a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So I see a lot of people with really good intentions. They're like, I'm going to go keto. I'm going to raise my fats. I'm going to lower my carbs. And it's fantastic. But then when they do, they're like, oh my goodness, I can't handle this. I'm running to the bathroom. I haven't gone to the bathroom in days. Um, I have heartburn. I have all these digestive issues. I feel like the food's sitting in my stomach. And so all of a sudden these digestive issues sort of come to light because fats and proteins require a lot of digestive fire. And they they require us to have adequate stomach acid, which would then uh trigger the activation of pepsin, which is a protein digesting enzyme. So if we don't have enough stomach acid, which stomach acid gets depleted from nutrient deficiencies, from stress, from age, and from not eating a lot of protein. So if you've ever been on a plant-based diet, you probably have lower protein. And also H. pylori, which is a bacteria. I have H. pylori. I'm working on getting rid of it, but I have low stomach acid because of that. So you, if you have low stomach acid or low digestive enzymes, you might find that you burp shortly after a meal. Maybe you get bloated shortly after a meal. You may have undigested food in your stool. You might have weak fingernails. You might be anemic or unresponsive to iron. And that's because stomach acid is needed in order to be able to digest and absorb certain minerals. So even zinc, which is important for making stomach acid, if you don't have enough stomach acid, you can't absorb all the zinc that you need. So we need the stomach acid to also activate pepsin, like I was saying, and pepsin's job is to start digesting protein. So pepsin can't be active all the time because it would start digesting us because we are made of proteins. So that's why we need the stomach acid to come in, activate the pepsin. It'll start breaking down the proteins. It also disinfects the stomach and gets rid of a lot of, you know, potential pathogens that are in there. So if you're someone who's always catching foodborne illnesses, that's another sign that your, your stomach acid is low. And a huge sign that your stomach acid is low is heartburn and indigestion and reflux. And we think that it's too much stomach acid, but most of the time, 99% of the time, it's too little stomach acid. And it, the reason that is, is because 
we need a certain level of acidity for the food to be moved out of that bottom sphincter of the stomach into the small intestine. So when the food is just sitting there, it's not acidic enough. It's just sitting in the stomach and those valves sort of don't close off properly. And we get this reflux into the stomach because we're also getting, you know, from fermentation of the carbohydrates, putrefication of the proteins and rancidification of the fats as it's just sitting there in the stomach, not digesting because there's no, not enough acid. So lack of stomach acid is a huge problem, especially, I mean, in our stressed out modern society, right? I see it all the time in my practice. Almost everyone has low to, you know, very low stomach acid and would very much benefit from stomach acid support. Now, if you do have heartburn and you've had reflux over the years, you can't just go in and throw hydrochloric acid down your throat because it's going to need, it wouldn't be good. (laughs) You need to heal. So when I work with my clients, we work on doing a lot of healing first and then slowly titrating in some acid. And it's not enough to just be like, oh, I take one betaine HCL and I'm fine. There's a very specific way to find your threshold of hydrochloric acid. And it's important to work with a practitioner because um, it's just, you know, it's a, it's like a heavy duty thing. It's actual acid that you could, I mean, it can dissolve stuff, you know, hydrochloric acid, super, super acidic. So you want to be careful with that. Also look for, you know, H. pylori and other things, but optimizing your stomach acid is really important. And then the stomach acid will trigger the pancreatic enzymes to be released But if we don't have enough acid, those enzymes don't really get released. So again, we'll have further reduced digestion. And now, um, then another issue that can happen is that our gallbladder is essential for helping us digest fats because it holds bile and bile, think about bile like dish soap. So the bile will emulsify the fats, just like dish soap emulsifies the grease on a pan and So we want this bile, which gets recycled, we want it to be free flowing. Bile will be nice and thin and and move free flowing and move well through your system when it's used often, because that way it kind of gets like cleaned out. So think about it like some oils or liquids in your car. If you don't use them, they get kind of sluggish and gunky. So if you're not eating a lot of fat, like anyone who's lived through the eighties and nineties, anyone who still has leftover fat phobia, um, anyone who's eaten a plant-based diet or people who have eaten gunky, like terrible fats, like these vegetable oils, like that are on, you know, everywhere. So having all these bad fats or low fat can cause the bile to get thick and viscous and it doesn't free flow. And it could cause pain when you eat fatty foods, you might be like, Oh, greasy food doesn't number on my stomach. It might cause you to have chronic diarrhea or chronic constipation. So you can see a lot of digestive issues with gallbladder dysfunction. But one of the huge things that happens is that if you don't digest fat, if you don't break it down and assimilate it, it doesn't do its job of stabilizing your blood sugar. So one of the most important things I do with clients, one of the first steps we do is optimize fat digestion and their gallbladder function so that they can actually absorb the fats from their meal and stabilize their blood sugar. So if someone has, if someone comes to me and has tons of sugar and carbohydrate cravings that are very intense, a lot of times reactive hypoglycemia, um, these would be people who would really benefit from fat digestion support and anyone with active digestive issues. And then, so yeah, so all of these people who are trying to raise their proteins, raise their fats, they can come into a lot of issues when they do this because they aren't digesting properly. A lot of us think, oh, I'm fine with digestion. I take a probiotic. Well, the probiotic is is really supposed to affect the bacteria in our large intestine. That's the very last step of digestion. We haven't even gotten there yet. You know, we haven't even talked about the small intestine and the large intestine comes last. So when we look at digestion, everything, it's a North to South process. So everything that happens up North affects every single step below it. So for example, um, step one of digestion is actually, I didn't even mention is sitting down and getting into a parasympathetic state. So we need to be in this rest and digest state. We need to chew our food 20 to 30 times per bite. And I've known this for years and I'm still a work in progress with that. Um, but you know, our, our stomachs don't have teeth. We need to break down this food. Think about it. We need to break down a piece of steak 
into microscopic particles that are these individual amino acids or tiny little, you know, a particle of zinc, not hunks of steak. Steak doesn't power us. The nutrients that make up steak does, right? So we need to break things down really, really well. We need to chew. And even going back to when you were talking about starches, they're kind of locked up. So starches are long chains of glucose molecules. And we have salivary amylases, which are digestive enzymes, which break down the starches. So they sort of snip apart the bonds between those glucose molecules and free those glucose molecules. So if you ever have like a bite full of rice or a bite of bread, if you chew it for like two to three minutes, it will start getting sweeter and sweeter because your saliva is actually breaking down those bonds and unlocking the sugar in that. And so it becomes sugar before you even swallow it. Um, but we need to get in this rest and digest state. We're eating on the go. We're eating distracted. We're on our phones where the kids are running around. We're eating in our cars. We're rushing out the door. We're eating in between clients. I mean, eating the the way we eat has really drastically changed. It used to be these meals and we would sit and we would laugh. Even many cultures pray over their foods. And so think about we're we're centering, we're calming, we're we're relaxing our bodies and we're getting into this state where we're ready to receive the food. So I have so many clients who say, Danny, you would never believe the difference in my digestion just from sitting down and chewing my food. I'm like, yep, who would have known, right? Wow. Wow. Once again, that was pretty good for your first time. Not bad. <laughs> first time what? No, I've, I've talked about that before. <laughs> yeah, have you? Once, once or twice, maybe? Um, once or twice. <laughs> once or twice. Yeah, I can tell. Um, yeah, that was so amazingly explained. Dr. Norm Robillard, um, who's also a digestive expert, talks about the same thing. His, his two kind of pieces of advice, if somebody took nothing away from his episode, was one, just less of everything. Try to, try to just not eat as much of everything where you can. And the second is just chew your food really, really well. And I do think mm -hmm. that's a really missing piece that you said to like really truly put yourself in that rest and digest, you know, kind of mode so that you're ready to accept that food and accept the nutrients. I think that's so important and so, so overlooked. Um, so speaking of, speaking of like not your first time, um, let's talk about your podcast. Um, tell us a little bit about the Unlock the Sugar Shackles podcast. You've been going for quite a while and so many different interesting topics that you've been able to cover over the years. Yeah. I, I mean, I feel like a lot of people come because they're addicted to sugar and, you know, people don't know about their blood sugar. I didn't know about my blood sugar. I had PCOS and had no idea blood sugar wasn't on my radar. Even when I was really into paleo learning all about it, I would skip the chapters on blood sugar and say, I'm not diabetic. So I, you know, I'm sort of trying to hook people because get them interested and like, Oh yeah, you know, I know I'm eating too much sugar, but really we're starting to talk about things like this. We're starting to talk about digestion. We're starting to look at blood sugar swings and how to prevent them because keeping your blood sugar stable will really lessen these cravings. So you don't have to white knuckle it. I mean, when I started a ketogenic diet, it took me several months to get rid of my sugar cravings. And I had to keep taking things out. I was like, Oh, cool. I can have stevia. And I was like, no, I can't. That makes that wakes up my sugar dragon or, Oh, I can have berries because they're keto. And it's like, no, I can't because they make me crave sugar all day. So, you know, I try to introduce these things from a holistic perspective and Sometimes people just need to dive deeper. Some people could be great with, you know, doing some blood sugar hacks and, and they feel amazing and it's reversing a lot of issues. They're losing weight, but a lot of us need to go deeper because we've had years and years and years and years and decades of damage that we've done. But I also don't want to give people this like prescriptive, just do this one thing and you're going to be fine. I want people to really learn about their health. So they're empowered. I want them to take this information to their doctors and say, can I get a fasting insulin test? Like, and can I get a blood sugar monitor? Because this is really a problem for me. And I know my blood sugar is at the root of my hormonal issues. What do you think? And their doctors have no idea. They know more than their doctors, but that's important because you need to know more than your doctor. And I had to go back to school to learn about all this stuff. And I don't want other people to have to do that. Like I did a total career change. I was a speech pathologist for 10 years. I had to work my way out of that. I retired in 2020 and I started this podcast, my podcast, Unlock the Sugar Shackles, because I want people to be empowered and feel hopeful that they can make these changes and not be in a dark place like I was and feel helpless. Like it was just bad luck and you can't change bad luck. You can change your health when you know what's wrong. Wrong. And so I really like to take people on these deep dives to really understand their physiology, understand symptoms so they can say, 
oh, you know, I'm burping after my meal. I think that means I don't have enough stomach acid. So I know what I can do about that now. So it, I think that is really empowering. So that's my mission. That's great. I love that. This can be a very general question. This can be about podcasting itself, or it could be maybe mm -hmm. something that you've been learning about through the different episodes that you've you know conducted over the years. What is one thing that you've really learned from podcasting? Again, that could be, you know, podcasting the process itself and talking to so many people, or it could be, you know, learning about like a, a no carbohydrate diet, like carnivore, anything between anything in between. Hmm. Well, I learned that it's hard not to say like an, um, <laughs> that's one thing. <laughs> 60,000 um, <laughs> times an hour is my rate. <laughs> hmm. What have I learned from podcasting? Well, oh, I learned that one of the things that stands out to me is that perimenopause starts at 35. And I was interviewing a guest, Karen Martell, who is fantastic. She is a hormone expert. And she told me this. And at the time it was a few months ago, I was 35 and she's like, yeah, perimenopause starts at 35. I'm like, Oh crap. So I didn't realize that. And so it's, I love having different guests on because it makes me, you know, realize and learn these different things in areas that are connected, but not areas I specialize in. And another area is light and circadian rhythm. So I interviewed Sarah Kleiner, carnivore yogi, and she has been doing a lot of work with her circadian rhythm, grounding, seeing the sunrise and, you know, blue blocking and all sorts of things. And it's been, it, it helped her lose 30 pounds and she's been doing incredible things. And it's, I struggle with adrenal fatigue from working so much. And, you know, I, I'm in front of a computer all day. I'm inside a lot. I'm not moving. And so I've been prioritizing getting in the sun, getting outside and working on my patio as much as possible, which is just a screen. And so getting that light in my eyes, blue blocking and focusing on turning my lights down at night, red lights on and lighting candles and being really really diligent with that. And I've been seeing a lot of progress in the adrenal issues that I've been having. And I know that this is all connected. So it's given me other areas to explore more as well. So, you know, I, I've been a nutrition nerd since I started learning about this stuff ever since I think what started me was learning that there were uh, vitamins and minerals in an onion. I didn't know. I was very into, like, I always ate processed food and I was like, there's vitamins and minerals in onions. I didn't know because it didn't have a food label. That's how detached I was from food. And I, I hate to say that that was when I was probably about 26 years old. So, you know, and then I started looking it up. I started looking into food documentaries. That's how I kind of got started. It piqued my interest. And then I found that book and, uh, Rob Wolf's book. And so it just took off from there, but I love learning about all these different areas to really optimize the human experience. So I consider myself a biohacker, not to like the level, the degree of Dave Asprey, but you know, a, a casual biohacker, but I really like to focus on feeling good. And that's my goal because if I don't feel good, I can't work. I can't make money. I don't, my relationships suffer and my quality of life suffers. So my priority is to always feel good. And so I want other people to feel that too. So learning from all these experts and talking to different people and learning just further ways to optimize my health is is really fun for me. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. I'm glad you mentioned Sarah. We just hosted her for the second time on our show and talked all about light. And yeah, this morning, it. this morning I got to watch the sunrise, which was amazing. Something she talked about with you. Um, and I am, <laughs> I am one of the unfortunate souls that when I open up my D minder app, there is a 90 day period where it says next available D and it's sometime way off in the future. Not until like mid February. Oh, so sad. <laughs> it is very sad. I, I got very jealous learning that you were in Orlando and you could get it all the time, but we start, we start way early. <laughs> Like we're laying out in January in Salt Lake City, like 35 degrees is our threshold. We will be outside getting sun exposure, even if we're not maybe generating a ton of vitamin D, but we're getting used to that pigmentation and we never burn. Like we did a trip in Mexico last year in the in like end of May, like direct sun UV index was like 13 or something, which I didn't even think it could go that high. And we didn't burn once. Wow. We didn't use sunscreen at all. We used shade when we needed to in midday, but you know, we were, we wow. were smart about it. We never burn. I would, I would totally fry up any time in the past before learning some of this stuff. It's so important. Yeah, for real. That's, that's a great, uh, that's really great that you didn't burn and getting your body used to this. So I, I posted on Instagram that I get out and get in the sunrise and someone said, I have a stupid question. Should you put sunscreen on 
when you go outside, I'm like, it's not a stupid question because I feel like it's a question a lot of people would have because there's so much misinformation about the sun. Yep. It's like, you should, they, they, I think they, whoever they is said that no amount of unprotected sun exposure is healthy. It's like, <laughs> are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? What was sunscreen invented in our human history? Like <laughs> the very last court, like fraction of an inch at the end of like, if you put human evolution on a football field, like in the very last yard line, like right on, <laughs> they actually, you know, it's like, they actually just discovered sunscreen on the caves, like 40,000 years ago. So they must've had it back that's then. That's right. <laughs> okay. 40,000 years ago. Yes. Okay. It makes total sense. But yeah, we, we evolved with the sun. It doesn't make sense that we would block it out. And when you do build up your your pigmentation and resistance to the sun, it's really, really, really important. And a lot of people with darker pigmentation in their skin, the melanin acts like a natural sunscreen. So it takes them longer to get vitamin D and this information isn't widely known. So people with darker skin colors in Northern latitudes really, really need to be diligent about getting outside to get that vitamin D level. And then people with lighter skin tones need to be able to build up their, their threshold because, you know, we all know those people who are very, very pale. They're like, Oh, I'm, I'm Irish. My skin is pink. And, and they have to put on loads of sunscreen every single time they leave the house. It's like, I'm wondering, you know, if they could improve that by doing those micro doses of the sun, you know, starting in January, February, March, getting your skin prepped for sun exposure. And then also it has a lot to do with the oils that we're eating too, right? So if we're eating these vegetable oils and we don't have enough, maybe cholesterol in our diet, we need cholesterol to synthesize vitamin D. So what we eat too has a lot to do with whether or not we burn. Yeah, totally. And I'm so glad you mentioned that like for the listener, like when I say we went down to Mexico and didn't burn, like this is years of preparation. We get out very early in the year, very early in the morning. We're getting used to this. We've been working on this for a long time. So it wasn't like we were just like, you know, inside all the time and then, and then decided like, Hey, this would be a great idea to expose our son to strongest son ever. Like you do need to be very mindful about that. So I'm glad you really clarified that. Um, in the past, when we worked in the gym, we would do these temporary weight loss challenges and they'd be either 60 days or 90 days. And we would give people all these meal plans and, you know, lots of meals and lots of shopping lists and lots of food that was thrown away at the end of the week. And lots of people that would sign up for one, but would never sign up for another because they would always quit because it wouldn't work. And when we started giving people very simple, low carbohydrate meal plans, everybody got really great results and would burn a ton of fat. And it was great. It was way fun to do those challenges that were temporary. And so I want to ask you about your blood sugar mastery course. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So that is my signature group coaching course. It's going to be starting its ninth round, probably after the time this podcast comes out, um, in late March, 2022. And the program is an eight week group coaching program, but you have lifetime access to all the video modules because, you know, it takes time to work through and, and we need those refreshers every once in a while. And the program is really to help you control your blood sugar. So it stops controlling you because our blood sugar controls how we feel at every second of every day. And if you've ever had dysregulated blood sugar, like I did, it controlled all the thoughts that I had, it was like, get sugar, eat something now. I'm tired. I need caffeine. Uh, why am I <laughs> struggling with this? Why don't I have any willpower? I'm tired. Why can't I think right now? So it affects you so much. And I want people to be free from that. And so it takes this holistic approach to optimizing blood sugar. So we take a really deep dive into food and I use this, um, I created a blood sugar diet roadmap. So it tells you based on what you're eating now or what sort of diets you're eating now, uh, where you should go from there, because not everyone should start with a full-blown ketogenic paleo diet. Like that's huge changes for a lot of people and also not appropriate for a lot of people. So I help you customize the diet transition to you. And so you're only biting off what you can chew basically, because a lot of people have this um, perfectionistic mentality, like I used to, and this all or nothing mentality. Like I know I need to do my blood sugar. So I know I need to be keto. It's like, well, maybe you're not ready for that. And maybe if you change too many things, you're going to sort of default to what you know, 
because it's going to be too overwhelming. So we take people through this process where they're just changing just enough that they can handle that they're, they end up making these slow, sustainable changes where it's not a crash diet. It's a lifestyle change. And so many people, I hear them towards the end of the program being like, you know, I'm in this for the long haul. I'm in it to, you know, I'm in this for the rest of my life. It's, you know, even though I made a mistake, I'm coming back to it. And so I see them letting go of these perfectionistic mindsets that have held them back in the past, which is amazing. I, we always end up like, I cry. I don't know. I get really emotional <laughs> when my, when my students do so well. And then in the modules, we go into beyond the food. We talk about how important it is to have, you know, to eat clean instead of doing these dirty keto type things and, and just looking at macros. We also need to look at micronutrients because our body runs on micronutrients. It runs on nutrients. You want to be happy. You want to sleep. You want to have balanced blood sugar. You need nutrients. So we need to be nutrient seekers, not calorie avoiders. We look at um, keto. Uh, it's not necessary, but it's an option that people might use as a therapeutic approach to reversing insulin resistance and lowering blood sugar and becoming a fat burner. So tapping into that stored body fat, teaching their body to do that. And we look at intermittent fasting, again, not necessary, but we look at it as a tool. So maybe some people do the program once they go back through it and then they do it again. And this time they include, you know, keto or intermittent fasting. We look at adrenals, we look at liver detox, and we look at how to uh, it design a lifestyle that's lowering our stress helping with our movement, what kind of movements are appropriate for uh, improving blood sugar and where you're at on that spectrum. Because if you have reactive hypoglycemia, your blood sugar is crashing, you can't even go for a walk. You know, So we look at all those things. There's batch cooking classes because cooking real food takes time, but we want it to take as minimal time as possible. So um, I teach my method of how to really shortcut cooking in the kitchen so you could get really healthy meals and just default to the healthy option instead of, um, you know, ordering takeout. And then we look at using carbohydrates as a tool because it's the, this is not blood sugar mastery. You can never have a carb again. Goodbye. That's not what this program is. It's that we want to find when to use carbs, how many carbs, and when we should sort of dial them up and dial them down. So again, using these things as a tool at certain times and knowing when to tap into that and what is right for your body. So <laughs> that's it. Yeah. That's all you do. That's it. That's, that's it. all we do. <laughs> wow. That is incredibly comprehensive and amazing. And I've, I've looked into it and I love the way you kind of get people out of it. You know, when we were doing our little group thing and getting people really great results, we would do a few seminars, one in the beginning to say like, this is what you can expect. And one in the middle that's like, okay, some of you are probably a little plateaued. Let's talk about how we can get over that. What things we need to dial mm -hmm. in. And then the last one we would do is like, okay, the program's over it's day 61 of the 60 day, whatever, like, what are you going to do now? And you also take that long-term approach and have people coming back to you. You know, it, I'm sure it feels equally good to have somebody graduate out of the program and be great for the rest of their life, but also to have somebody come back and say, okay, I'm, I'm after the next like 30 pounds or whatever, by going maybe a little bit more strict. It's really cool. Yeah. So actually at the end of the program, people are eligible to join my membership. It's called Danny's Inner Circle. And this is really where we make it a lifestyle where, you know, we do a lot of work in those first eight weeks, but you know, Rome wasn't built in a day, right? So a lot of people see huge changes in eight weeks, but there's much more healing to be done. And I can continue to support them in the membership. They need a little bit less help. They sort of have their groove and we do once monthly coaching calls in there. So, um, it's only for graduates of blood sugar mastery. So everyone's sort of on the same page. I can continue to help with supplements and, uh, you know, different questions that might come up and then just sort of pivoting. It's like, okay, I was, I've been doing keto for, you know, this long, I think I want to start adding back in carbs and it's like, cool. So I can help them and we can stay connected and, and working together because, this is a lifestyle change and it's not like a one and done. That's not what nutrition is. It's not like one meal plan is going to change my life and I'm going to be better forever and ever. And I wish that were the case, but it's not. And so I like to provide all the help I can for people to really, really thrive. Yeah. That's amazing. What a cool way to stay connected with the people mm -hmm. that do the course. I really love that. This has been yeah, a fantastic, fantastic conversation. I've really enjoyed this. If you had to leave the listener with one simple tip, what would that one thing be? One simple tip. Wow. 
one thing. It's just so hard for me to decide. I know we've talked um, about so many different things. Oh my gosh. Okay. One. Um, I guess I would say since we didn't talk about it, I would say as much avoid vegetable oils like the plague. They're just so bad for you. Read ingredients and don't go out to eat very often. If you do, you know, ask for things to be grilled or get raw fish or, you know, things like that, that don't have these vegetable oils and start telling your friends and family about them because they're horrible and they do so much damage to your health. And it's an easy lateral swap that a lot of people can get behind. So, you know, you have an elderly parent and it's like they cook with canola oil. It's like, just use this avocado oil instead. Like at least it's a little better or, or use butter and give people permission to use grass-fed butter again, you know? So I guess we'll, we'll stick with that one. Yeah. That's a great tip. I oscillate I, seemingly like every 30 minutes on, you know, when I get asked the question, what's worse, like vegetable oil or sugar, and I'll change my mind all the time. You just did the same thing to me. I'm like, okay, sugar, it's sugar. There's a worst. And now it's like, ah, no, it's vegetable oil again. <laughs> both are terrible. <laughs> Avoid both. They're everywhere. It's really agreed. a little difficult in the beginning until you start to realize how ubiquitous they are. And when you start to look at the grocery store and know the areas that you should be going to and know the ones you should be avoiding. And, and again, great tips on eating out. Like you just said, it, it it's total game changer and will make things a lot easier and you'll be so much happier having known that. So that's a great tip. I love that. Danny, where can people go to find you and connect with you and your work? Oh yeah. Thanks. Uh, so I hang out a lot on Instagram at Danielle Hamilton health. My website's at daniellehamiltonhealth.com. And like you said before, my podcast is unlock the sugar shackles and yeah, that's where you find me. Awesome. We will link to all of that in the show notes. I know that as soon as I turn off the recording, I'm going to think of like in a minute or two, I'm going to think of another really good sugar pun. Um, and I'll kick myself for not <laughs> saying it on the air, but I'll spare the listener. Thank you so very much, Danny Hamilton, with all of your information and knowledge. What an amazing gap you covered in a short time, having not known very much about, you know, diet not that long ago and, and really deep diving into it and, and put on an absolute clinic on our show. So our listeners are, I'm sure, very grateful for you as we are. Thank you so much for all the learning and sharing everything in such a positive and upbeat way. And thank you for taking the time to be on our show today. We really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me, Casey. It was a blast. It's such a blast. It was an honor. And this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio. As always, thank you so very much for listening to Boundless Body Radio. It's really inspiring and amazing to see some of the reviews that we have been getting and also to receive so many messages and emails about how these episodes have improved our listeners' lives. And so thank you so very much. We are so happy to bring these episodes to you and provide them for free. And we really hope that they help you in your life. Uh, we have just passed two major milestones, which is absolutely mind-blowing to me. And basically, we did both of these in pretty much the exact same day. We have just passed 100,000 downloads worldwide of Boundless Body Radio, and we have just launched our 250th episode, which is absolutely amazing. Like I said, I never imagined we could reach that many people. We always want to keep you updated on things that we're doing on our website. So if you go to myboundlessbody.com, you can always see what we're up to. This month, we have a link that you can go and schedule a functional movement screen, which we do virtually over Zoom. A functional movement screen is a series of seven different movements and three different clearing tests, which is designed to find weak links in the body, such as muscle imbalances and joint stability issues. It's a really great tool for discovering inefficient movement. And even if you're not experiencing pain in certain areas of your body. It's something that can prevent injury later on. Some muscles need to be stretched, some need to be strengthened, and we can help you create a plan around that so that you can stay healthy and continue to move well for the rest of your life. So again, you can go and schedule that at myboundlessbody.com. You will also see the other services that we offer. You can always schedule a complimentary 30-minute consultation with us to really chat about anything that you like. And remember, if you are enjoying Boundless Body Radio, please take a minute, give us a rating or review on Apple. It really helps get this passion project out to other people. And thank you again for tuning into Boundless Body Radio.